it's always a blessing to be here. And it's, it was difficult to, we've had an, a number of days just seeking God about what to actually bring because coming here, I don't know why we feel a real affinity here, a real sense of belonging here. You, you just need to get your house prices changed in this area. <laughs> but New Foundations is so integral in our lives, it consumes so, so much of our time that when I read the word, I can't help but see the word manifest in the work in Nigeria. So today, we just couldn't separate the two. So in a sense, I, I want it, it must all come back to the Lord at the end of the day. So we're prioritizing that to lead you into some footage, quite a bit actually. It's hard to keep, to keep up, really from the last month, month or two. But ultimately, to grab hold that this is not a work of man, that this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing. This is what God does in men's lives and women's lives. It's about taking hold and surrendering to him and seeing what he can do with lives surrendered. I don't talk about mom my own. I'm, 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 I'm speaking on behalf of our brothers and sisters out there. I'm bringing what they want to lead to you, and we're a mouthpiece for that. I want to take you to a, a familiar passage, but the familiar passages can sometimes become a bit analog, and I want you to focus on it, because we've heard these a lot of times. I want you to, to take you to Hebrews chapter 9, a well-known chapter, but things are well-known because there's depth in them to mine. And let's just start at verse 11. Verse 11, Hebrews 9. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There's so much in there we could, there's so much in there. And then I just want to go back of a, a chapter to chapter 8. Just three verses, 6, 7, and 8 in the context of what we've just read. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. 
For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now we know that this was spoken to Israel, but praise God he's included us in that blessing as well. Yesterday I was, I was in Cambridge and I was stuck at traffic lights, which is Cambridge. And there's a little medieval house in the centre of the town that I've known since I was a child. It's just a road comes in and it's only about five foot wide because that's all the edge of the road is. And then it spreads out to about ten foot. It's a curious thing. It looks like something off a fairy tale. And it's made of wattle and daub and it's got clay tiles on it and it's built in wood. And it's a miracle it's still standing. It's, It's above a nail bar believe it or not. And every 10 years, this thing gets scaffolding around it, and it's stripped back and built up again. <laughs> and I must have seen it as a comment on myself, but I've seen it a lot, a lot of times now, rebuilt with scaffolding. Okay, well, another 10 years, I'll be sitting here, God willing, and I'll be seeing the scaffolding up again. The restoration of it is temporary. Its nature, its context, its structure is, is such that it can never last for long. We always need to go back to it, to service it, to make of it what in our hearts we want it to be. It's a really attractive, very sort of quirky bit of architecture and we want it to stay, but we cannot because it's built of the wrong substance and it's living in climatic conditions which are dooming it to endless decay. And just before the lights turned, I thought, that is the old covenant. That is me. I've got a preservation order on myself that I need restored endlessly in the old covenant as well because I'm built to decay in an environment that is going to exacerbate that. And when I thought about that, I thought, isn't it a miracle that we're on the other side of the Mosaic law under a new covenant once and eternally saved. It's a quite extraordinary fact that we don't consider enough, I don't think. Even thinking of the Levitical priesthood, just men, just men, toiling, sacrificing, atoning, washing, cleaning, eating. If you read, I don't read there's even a seat in the tabernacle. There's nowhere to sit down because they're at it the whole time. And yet, in the new covenant, the mediator is seated at the right hand of the Father because the deed has been done. Hebrews is such a a blessed book because it parallels and it completes Leviticus and so much of the old covenant, bringing it together as one. And we know that the Levitical law was a shadow of things to come. When one thinks of the tabernacle, as I understand it, the lampstand, the light that comes, the showbread, the body, the veil, the body of Christ rent to allow us into the Holy of Holies. It parallels, it, it, it demonstrates that which is to come. And when one thinks in the Old Covenant of the rules 
inscribed by God's finger on stone, adamantine stone, so hard, so cold, so heavy to hold, but ideal for people with hearts of stone as well. But what did that show us? It showed that God is holy. That was the whole point. It showed many things. It shows the heinous iniquity of sin, of course, as well. God gave us the old covenant to show he is holy and we are not. That's it. That's the beginning and end of it in many ways. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Leviticus 19, 1, 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. Isn't that a beautiful statement to the Lord? It's not, people think it's, it's, and somehow it's condemning, but the Lord is saying, I am holy. He's wanting us to be holy. He's wanting that relationship. Such a beautiful thing. We are wondering where I'm going with this. But when I was thinking of how this related to the work, and indeed our lives as well, we used to run an old covenant mission for a long time because we didn't have a place to call home. We had lots of laws and instructions of what you should do and what you shouldn't do because that was the only way of running an organization. And there were lots of boundaries and lots of rules and lots of misunderstandings, lots of corralling people and correcting and teaching and getting things wrong. And I, I have every sympathy with the Israelites traipsing the Sinai endlessly, going around in circles. But in the midst of that, they had a desire to follow God. There was a heartfelt desire. And I can honestly say for the past 16 years, we have had exactly that same, that sense of, we want to follow you, Lord, just show us what to do. Uh, but in the midst of that, there's been so many blind alleys and going around in circles. No place to call home. We used to borrow bungalows and it was just empty, so we'd have to get a generator and barrels of water, light bulbs, and then, some, then someone would have to go and get the wire to connect it. it. It was just a culture of confusion and logistics and complexity. The agendas were mixed, unity was not there, and yet God, in his mercy, gave us the resources and the stamina through his strength to continue. But it was, it was exodus wanderings of new foundations, stumbling and circular walks, only to go around from whence we came. In fact, Anikara, where our clinic is, we did a clinic there, and my son was there, and we had a miserable day. And I said to him at the end, I will never, ever set foot in this place again. <laughs> and that is where our clinic is, praise God. The desire is to be obedient, but much of what we do is in our own strength. And isn't this like so much of our lives? We're desirous of freedom and intimacy with God to live a Christian life that is edifying, that is honoring God. 
And yet we get in the way of that. And so we come back to the beginning. We put down our petitions again. And so many times in our own strength say, Lord, this time it's going to be different. Uh, well, I, I see so many addicts and it's just that same thing. And yet in the middle of that person I see a heart that is so desperate to be clean, like a sinner, desperate to be free of these things. And yet in their own strength, going around and around in circles, a short-term fix and then it's all back again. And that is the old covenant, isn't it? Just a covering over by men who are men and failed in their own sense as well. It's a dirty business dealing with human beings. And then we read in Isaiah that wonderful verse, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that published peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that published salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. What a joy. What a joy when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time that frees us from that sense of plowing our own furrows. What a joy that we stand on this side of the Mosaic law. And God, of course, announces that. He trumpets that. He heralds that throughout of the Old Testament. Let me just take you to Jeremiah 31. If you want to join me there, we've just got a few verses. <coughs> Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What an amazing statement. I will remember their sin no more. Well, I remember my sin, and I cast it up repeatedly at myself as if somehow I'm not forgiven at times. And I can speak for all of us here. We ponder in those hours of the night or on a bus or train or something, your mind drifts back to horrors that you were involved in. And yet God says, I remember them no, no more. It's amazing how we drift back to an old covenant situation instead of accepting that God has replaced that stony heart that we read of in Ezekiel with a heart of flesh. A freedom. It, 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 it defies my, my understanding at times that God should do that. What a mercy. What a mercy. And when one thinks of the hewn ta tablets of stone the law on a cold, hard piece of stone transformed and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You couldn't get more, more of an antithesis between the cold, dead hardness of stone and the living, breathing magnificence of our Lord.
Now I ask you, is it better to serve servants or the source to which those servants serve? I think it's better to go to the source, isn't it? Not look to man. Jesus is seated in the heavenlies. He is the covenant. He is the mediator. And we know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17 and 11. And the Lord says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar. To make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. It is interesting that things changed with the shedding of blood for us with Ian. For now, it does feel like a new covenant situation. For we have a place to call home there. Everything has changed. There's been a cleansing. And blood, it's a, a really important thing to consider, the power of blood. When one thinks of blood, it does many, many tasks. First of all, you think it's got to get everywhere to do its job. And we've got enough capillaries to wrap around the world twice in each of us. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And in it, there's oxygen to transport oxygen so every cell can do its job. There's also defenses, your immunity, the white cells, all those things that actually protect you. Praise God indeed. The blood also removes waste and toxins and things which should not be there. It feeds us. It builds us. It protects us. When you're on renal dialysis, you need old covenant blood that's pumped into you and three days later you need to get it all out again and clean it because the blood is not new. It's just covering the problem. But the blood of Christ is so different once and for all. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. It pervades to the darkest parts of our hearts, to the darkest parts of our spirits, and cleanses us. And the blood of Christ covers us and protects us. When one thinks in Exodus, the painting of the blood, there's power in the blood. What a wonderful song. There's power in the blood. The blood of Christ has no Adamic sin in it. It's unique. Or we think that a fetus inherits blood from the mother. It doesn't. It's completely de novo blood. The placenta is a barrier between the, t the two. But it's still open to viruses and all sorts of things. But the blood of Christ is unique, totally new, a new man. God is a cardiothoracic surgeon. He takes out our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. So that new blood that pervades every aspect of us is pumped by a soft heart 
that has changed. What a joy. What an absolute joy. When we quizzed a young Peter worker about the mission and asked him what it's about, he said, it's all about Christ. In fact, he wouldn't say it was about anything else. We kept pushing one another. It's all about Christ, all about Christ. And it taught us that actually when we spoke to each of them, there is, has been an epiphany in each of them and, and, in, and, and us too. But it's not just about us. What I'm trying to convey is the importance of meditating upon this passage in Hebrews to see that Christ changes everything. He is the new high priest. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. Once changes everything. Because when we come to Christ and we decide to leave the guilt and everything around, and I have to say of late, we've seen so many people hurting and struggling and going through real trials and letting the world wash in a bit with stresses and strains and pressures. And sometimes one can take a step back as the voice of the enemy begins to drift in a bit. And I'm just here to encourage you that we are washed in the blood of Christ. We are new creatures in Christ, despite the fact we live in a world that is broken. We have new hearts that have been given by Christ. Secondly, how do we respond? If we know we have a new heart, let us move away from focus on self, because that is such a danger of the enemy, such a danger of the enemy when we focus on what we don't have. We can always give thanks for something. And what I'm saying is simple. There's nothing new in what I'm saying. I'm, I acknowledge that. But sometimes the simple things need to be told again. Let us give thanks. For as John said earlier, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. For there is much to give thanks for. And first of all, we give thanks for our Lord's in heaven. He has overcome the world. The world is falling away. Or as Shirley says, it's not falling apart, it's falling into place. <laughs> Prophetically. It's true. We need to acknowledge we are new cre cre creatures in Christ. We are not saved by blood of, bloods of bulls and goats. The blood of Christ has purged us completely so if we have a new heart we have a new focus and that's not on ourselves and the coldness of our own hearts but as John was saying widows and orphans look outwardly and meditate upon the word of God for in meditating upon this I really felt that revelation that the gospel as we all know is a gospel of love and mercy by a God who's all all perfect, all holy, and righteous. Those two balanced in perfect harmony. So if we have a revelation of God's love for us and mercy, the fourth thing we need is an understanding of the nature of the world in which we continue to live and function. And somehow we need to come up with a plan 
to allow all those to function effectively. Because church starts as we leave the building. It's a sanctuary in here. Now these aren't grandiose ideas and they're not aspirational because we have a saviour whose strength is made perfect in our weakness. So the job's done. But we need to accept that and meditate upon it. So often we state things, but we don't have a revelation in it. We kind of urgent praying, but there's no traction within our spirits that affirms that as something that we're living our lives upon. I love the verse, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. It's not dipping a toe into the fountain. I just see someone running headlong and diving in because they have that affirmation of what that blood has done and they want to be soaked in it from top to bottom. And it is ironic that stains are normally often blood, aren't they? Because blood's pretty hard to get out of anything. But in God's economy, the stains which we don't even see are so offensive to him, the only thing that will clean them are the very thing which we would consider a stain, and that is blood. God's economy is totally upside down to ours. I'm keeping it short because Shirley has quite a bit to, to talk, talk about, and I want to just keep it practical. And this, in a sense, is a summary of what I wanted to talk about. The fact Sometimes as a remnant church, in inverted commas, there is a danger of looking outwards all the time, of looking at the threats and, and things that are coming in with almost a vicarious affirmation that, oh yes, I knew it would be like this. I'm urging you, as Christians, let us keep our eyes on Christ first and foremost, not on what's out there, because what out there is prophetic and it's going to happen. And we cannot change that, nor should we pray to unless God in his mercy does a sovereign work. But we will not stand unless we have that revelation of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us as the mediator of the new covenant. The very fact that he is the sacrifice, he is the mediator, he is the object of the sacrifice and he is the reward of it. He is everything. He is the new covenant. He is truth, he is complete, he is finished that finished work of Calvary, we need to appropriate it to ourselves so as we leave here, we have the full understanding of who we are in Christ. And though the world looks at us as frail and deluded, we have the affirmation of the Holy Spirit indwelling us by faith such that we can traverse this world without putting our eyes down, but lifting them up. I just want to encourage you, but that, that comes from meditating what Christ has done. And the more we meditate on focused passages like this, the deeper understanding we have of who we are in Christ and what he has done. And what a mercy it is. What an absolute joy it is. And I say this in, as an introduction because all I'm doing is focusing on what some of my brothers and sisters have said. And they've taught me a lot it taught me a lot, the focus and the need for the desire for rebuke, for being chastised, for being built up, for concentrating on the word, on prayer, simple things. But when I hear 
my brothers and sisters in Nigeria speak of that, not having any time to prep, but we just pointed a camera at them and say, tell us what you want us to speak over there. And, they, and I just filmed this, and that's what we brought back. But we are all created for service. There's not one person here who's not created for service in some way. And the joy is each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made in a different way, each of us. It is a joy to be part of the palette of colors. Spurgeon writes a beautiful comment. For those who feel, I'm too old to do anything, I don't have enough money to do anything, I don't have enough time to do anything, I don't have enough skills to do anything. I don't have enough confidence to do anything. I don't have enough giftings to do anything. Spurgeon wrote a beautiful little paragraph to refute that. If you want to do good in the world, the little word try comes in again. There are plenty of ways of serving God. And some that will fit you exactly as a key fits a lock. Don't hold back because you cannot preach in St. Paul's. You'll be arrested now anyway. <laughs> be content to talk to one or two in a cottage. Very good wheat grows in little fields. You may cook in small pots as well as big ones. Little pigeons carry great messages. Even a little dog can bark at the thief, wake up the master and save the house. A spark is a fire. A sentence of truth has heaven in it. Do what you do right thoroughly. Pray over it heartily and leave the rest to God. What wisdom. Absolute wisdom, isn't it? And what an encouragement as well. Because a church is the sum of its parts, isn't it? And each part is integral. But each part can't, can't be a functioning part unless... We each understand who we are in Christ and that comes back to what Christ has done for us and meditating on the beauty of Jesus Christ, the power of his blood, the magnificence of his sacrifice. And as we absorb that, we can see that jewel he's put in our pocket for, ser for service and whatever you do will be different to your neighbor and in doing so, the church has power. God equips us. We know the days are dark, but he is sufficient. Never give up. Amen. So we went back to Nigeria a couple of months ago uh, to see our brothers and sisters, and this time Ilana, the girl that was kidnapped with us, um, who was 24 at the time, her first ever mission trip, who had promised her mom and dad she would never go back, they made her promise. He, she promised her boyfriend stroke fiance she would never go back. But since she's come back, it grew on her heart that that's where her heart was. God has really given her a call to the people that she met when she came out, even on that fateful trip where she spent most of it as a captive. But she became a captive of God's calling to the same people who in any other walk of life you would run a mile from. So she, 
she would, David would try and sort of jokingly say to her, I think you should come back. And I would say, leave it. We can't because a promise. And I felt really, and then I sort of undid it. I put, <laughs> I know, I put a joking WhatsApp to her because we were talking about another mission that had invited us all to go and work. And none of us really felt God was in it. But we kept praying through it and we did feel we had a commitment to get Elana back to Africa. That was my commitment. I needed to get her back to overcome all the fears and all the traps that the enemy would lay. So we were praying through another trip to Ethiopia. And I just said to her jokingly at one point, it would be so much easier if you could just come with us to Nigeria. Smiley face. (laughs) But I really did mean it as a joke and then carried on about the logistics of this other trip. But little did I know it kind of opened up a whole thing for her. And so she phoned her mum and said, started talking about Nigeria and this imminent trip. And her mum said, I know where this is going. <laughs> you, you want to go back to Nigeria? She said, I'm getting off the phone now. So she got off the phone. Alana thought, oops, I've really overstepped. She phoned her boyfriend, lovely big Scottish guy, who's in training in ministry. And she said to him, just started talking again, he said, listen, I feel physically sick. I need to get off the phone. He got off the phone. He was actually physically sick. So she told us, she said, I've really, any thoughts of it have kind of blown. You know, it's closed the door. But within, I think, an hour, she said, her mum called her back and said, your dad and I have prayed about Nigeria and about you going. She never said she wanted to go. She was talking around it. She said, we want you to go, but not just to go, but you go with our blessing. 180 degree turn with no one having to make a word of persuasion. Then her boyfriend phoned back from Glasgow. He said, I was physically sick when I got off the phone. I won't pretend I do not want you to go. He said, but I've prayed about it and the Lord wants you to go. But wait for this, he said, but you don't only just go, you go with my blessing. I found that phenomenal, that the 180 degree turn to where they were giving their blessing and knowing that God was in it. So we took her back with you and we'll show you just a little bit of footage because we didn't tell the workers she was coming. And I, when they were coming up the stairs, I said, you hide <laughs> in that other room and I'll tell them I've got something to show them. So that's what we did. Is that the first film we've got? So I'll just show you that bit because really, as when we were there the first time after being kidnapped, the joy of seeing our brothers and sisters and holding them is phenomenal. And as I've said before, they're closer to us sometimes than blood relatives. So I think they speak better than we can. I mean, that's their word of encouragement to the UK because part of what has been a burden on my heart is when we go there is to tell them what's happening in the world because they they didn't even know about 9-11. You know, that's how filtered the news is. They get a lot of football results. They know who the players are, but the news around the world. And we've told them many things that have encouraged them 
And now they want to send it back here. And I thank God for that because that is how the body of Christ works. They are equal with us in every way. They are our brothers and sisters. They live differently. They look a little bit different. But we are truly related through the blood of Christ. And, you know, we love them. And we, we love it when we see them. So we've got some more footage I don't know if there's any bits that are going to scare people, maybe. <laughs> what one is it you want? Okay, so this is a testimony, again, from the workers that we can take no credit for, thank God, because we're not there. It's nothing to do with us anymore. The Lord is working in their lives in the way that we've hoped and prayed for for 16 years. And we see fully functioning priests of the new covenant who are able to minister to their people. So we've had some patients who came in just before we met with them. They had a very serious uh, three patients that came in from a bunkering explosion of uh, oil in the bush. So they had men who were illegally distilling oil. It happens a lot. And there was an explosion and they were badly burned. And this is, a t you know, our clinic is a primary health care rural clinic. They would needed to have been in a hospital with intensive care. And if we were here, skin grafts. But I'm just going to show you what happened over a two to three week period. Um, and let it speak for itself. <laughs> 